0: 50 years on since the first moon landing. We're talking space weather.
1: Energetic particles can have an impact on electronics. So whether you are in the space station, trying to travel to the moon or even further to Mars. Strange things appear on radars across the UK. Usually they fly
2: along horizontally and you can see their longer bodies are more reflective than the
0: width of their bodies, which are thin. And whether you're part of the great summer getaway or heading to the Open Golf Championship, how's it looking?
3: But dry and fine weather, Sunday is your best bet. And then things could get really interesting next week.
0: It's Thursday, the 18th of July, and you're listening to WeatherSnap from the Met Office. Hello, I'm Claire Nazir, and you're listening to WeatherSnap, an insider's guide to the week's weather brought to you direct from Met Office HQ. Fifty years ago this week, images of the first man walking on the moon were beamed back to Earth, where the world watched captivated. The Apollo 11 space mission was hailed as an incredible success. Yet, for the three astronauts, the risk for their lives was immense as they made their way back home. To talk about the meteorological aspects of the mission, I spoke to Catherine Ross, Met Office archivist. So Catherine, 50 years ago this week, Cape
4: Canaveral... The weather was fair as they launched into space. Yeah, absolutely. Glorious day. Absolutely nothing affected the plans for takeoff. Nice and warm, low wind, great visibility. Everybody would have had a fantastic view. We've seen that, that imagery
0: of Neil Armstrong just taking the first steps. And then they were able to ascend again. Everything worked. They attached to the main rocket. And then it was the command module which had to enter our atmosphere obviously heat up a lot, and then arrive somewhere in the Pacific. And that's, that's when things could have gone awry.
4: Yeah, so um, they obviously needed reasonably good conditions when they were landing back in the Pacific, splashdown, You've got a tiny, tiny module realistically in a vast area of ocean. And USS Hornet had to actually go and find that capsule and recover the astronauts. And actually on the day, they uh, they were using very, very new technology. They actually used satellites to check the weather. And weather satellites were really very much in their infancy, but spy satellites had been going a little longer. So the USS Navy actually used their network of spy satellites and spotted a weather front, which was going to come over and would have affected the original landing site. So everything had to get shifted 150 miles northeast so that they could land in an area that would be slightly better and the visibility was actually much better as a result. So it
0: was the visibility which was the key issue. As you said, you know, it's a small module. It's like finding a needle in a haystack, the
4: Pacific. The visibility was critical because they used an air-sea rescue helicopter to actually go out to the capsule and drop off the medic and recover the men and obviously that required really very good visibility. It was a little bit choppy, both at Force 5. It's not perfect, but it would do. I mean, I'm looking
0: here, it says the wave height was just under two metres. That's quite, quite... not great. So anyway, it was a slight rough landing back on Earth, a better landing on the Moon, it seems. And then the rest is history. Absolutely. The science of weather in space has come on leaps and bounds since the late 60s, and there is now far more understanding of the risks astronauts face when they leave the safety of Earth's atmosphere. Catherine Burnett, Space Weather Programme Manager.
1: In terms of space weather, human beings, once they leave the protection of the Earth's atmosphere and the Earth's magnetic field, are subject to any radiation that comes from the sun. So we might be used to thinking about the sun in terms of heat and light, but it also puts out a wide range of other levels of radiation, including energetic particles. And those can have effects on the human body that can increase our risk of getting cancer.
0: So, would you say the astronauts that went into space during 1969, that epic journey, did we have that sort of information then, how
1: vulnerable we are to it? There would have been some knowledge, but perhaps the the steps we could have taken to protect people in space weren't quite as advanced as they would be now.
0: The Space Weather Desk in the Met Office analyses and looks at the solar wind, the energy, the radiation being emitted from the sun. Now there are events where that's very intense. What would happen to the equipment on the space station if we
1: saw one of those events happening? In terms of electronics, energetic particles can have an impact on electronics. So whether you are in the space station, whether you are operating satellites that are in space, or whether you're trying to travel to the moon or even further to Mars, electronics have shrunk a lot. They are more susceptible to those energetic particles And though we build in multiple systems so you get redundancy, those energetic particles can impact individual sensors and systems and cause problems.
0: So obviously here you're keeping a keen eye on that type of event happening, as well as other things in space weather.
1: So if our satellite operators want to do a difficult maneuver, they will get a forecast from us and avoid those times when space weather is particularly active so that they can be sure they can communicate clearly with their spacecraft and nothing will go wrong. The subjects of space weather it's going to become more and more important isn't it? Obviously the UK is very keen to expand its space industry with the new spaceports that are going to be coming online and again space weather forecasts will be key to those knowing when they can safely launch we will be combining meteorology with space weather forecasts so they know they can launch through the atmosphere and beyond. Fascinating. Catherine Burnett, thank you very much. You're welcome.
0: These past few days, the south of England has seen fine and dry conditions. However, the radar in this part of the UK has suggested otherwise. Now, it's not rain or UFOs. It's something completely different. It's flying ants. Ada McGiven explains.
5: Radar has helped monitor current weather for decades, feeding everything from television reports to supercomputer weather forecasts. However, we haven't always been able to separate the precipitation signal from the noise. When radar was first used during the Second World War, precipitation was the noise, masking the signal from enemy targets. It was following the war that the use of radar for weather forecasting really took off. And today, the UK and Ireland Weather Radar Network includes 18 weather radars, 15 of which are operated and maintained by the Met Office. However, radar is not entirely infallible. Anything from birds and insects in the sky to hills and buildings on the ground can interfere with the signal and generate false data. This week, ants hit the headlines as favorable weather conditions triggered great clouds of the creatures. Here's
6: Graham Madge of the Met Office Biodiversity Group. These ants take this mass emergence to the air in order to try and form new colonies. You get males and females taking to the air. Why now? It's because it's sunny, warm conditions which makes it easier for them to fly. And secondly, The humidity means that the soil is a bit softer, so when they find a mate and form a new colony, it's actually easier for them to dig in the soil. The reason we know that this week's radar signals have been generated by insects,
5: rather than precipitation, is due to a recent upgrade to the UK's radar network. A new system known as dual polarisation involves sending out two radar beams at once as Met Office radar specialist Caroline Bulpet explains.
2: The reason we knew that these particular echoes were insects or flying ants is because of the horizontal and vertical reflected data. We saw more power being reflected in the horizontal. And you can imagine these ants, they're long. So usually they fly along horizontally and you can see their longer bodies are more reflective than the width of their bodies, which are thin. And that's how we can determine they're not precipitation. They really are creatures.
5: And ants aren't the only creature data analysts need to contend with.
2: You can often see this in calm conditions in Scotland, when we have lots of midges flying around, and you can see them surrounding the lakes. Sometimes at the north coast of France, we can see in the morning a whole flock of birds take off from the cliffs. There was a fantastic event where, on New Year's Eve, the fireworks went off to herald the New Year. All of these birds took off and it was a fantastic visual eruption from the trees.
5: One way of separating startled birds from raindrops is to introduce a form of data filtering.
2: We do have a filter which uses satellite. It's a cloud map which helps to remove these non-meteorological echoes. So if there is no cloud, then there can be no precipitation. And the filter removes areas where there's blue sky.
5: Although filtering has its uses, for the time being at least, radar data gathering still ultimately relies on human collaboration and interpretation.
2: We work in partnerships with colleagues across the world, um, in Europe and in America, but there's always a fine balance to achieve between removing information we don't want from the radar returns and risking also losing information about light rain events, so it's a judgement call, with multiple teams and specialists assessing the data.
0: Lots going on this weekend. The golf in Portrush, many music festivals and with the schools breaking up, lots of people travelling. So what's the weather doing? Here's Alex Deacon.
3: Well, I'm not planning on going anywhere, Claire. I'll be sitting around watching or listening to the golf. And the weather could be pretty sporting at Royal Portrush, actually. We're looking at some showers on Saturday when it will be quite gusty and potentially it could turn a bit wet, especially towards the end on Sunday. As for travelling across the UK, well, our friends at the RAC are suggesting there could be 13 million extra leisure journeys this weekend, one of the busiest summer getaways for five years. The weather's not playing ball either. If you're travelling on Friday, that could be the busiest day. It's also likely to be the wettest with many parts of the UK seeing rain followed by potentially some very heavy showers in places. Saturday is more straightforward. There'll be a bit more sunshine, but there will still be showers scattered about. And again, they could be heavy on Saturday afternoon. By the time we get to Sunday, the weather's calming down. So for dry and fine weather, Sunday is your best bet. And then things could get really interesting next week. It looks like a northwest to southeast split develops next week with much of Scotland, Northern Ireland seeing breezy conditions, cool conditions and outbreaks of rain. Whereas for a good part of England and Wales, the early part of next week looks dry and increasingly sunny and increasingly warm. And there is a chance we could see temperatures really jump up in the south next week. Now, a lot of uncertainty about the extent of the heat And for how long it lasts, it may not last all that long, but there's a strong signal for some heat across the south next week. The message at the moment stay tuned to your Met Office forecasts.
0: Thank you, Alex. We heard him earlier talking about flying ants, but here's Graham Madge again with last week's highs and lows.
6: Well, the high temperatures have certainly suited the ants, but what about the rest of us? Here are your weekly extremes from Monday, the 8th of July, to Sunday, the 14th of July. The highest maximum temperature occurred last Thursday when Heathrow in London recorded 27.3 Celsius. The coldest night was in Altnahara in Sutherland, with a minima during the early hours of Monday morning of minus 0.4 Celsius. The highest daily rainfall was recorded on Wednesday the 10th of July in Cassley, also in Sutherland, with 42 mm of rain. And the place that picked up the most sunshine in the day was Bude in Cornwall, when last Tuesday it recorded 15.2 hours of sunshine.
0: Thank you, Graham. That's it from WeatherSnap. I'm Claire Nazir. Producer this week was Adrian Holloway. Do join us again next week when we take a closer look at the week's weather headlines. WeatherSnap is a podcast by the UK Met Office.